Hello, I'm Jaron Kamen, and you're listening to the Rabbit Room Podcast. Some time ago, Ben Shive released a record called The Symbol Crashing Clouds. A little while before that, Jill and Andy Gullihorn sat down with Ben to talk about his new record, the songwriting process, and the similarities between songwriting and tweeting. It's a great conversation that's been brought up from the Rabbit Room archives for you to enjoy. This is Andy Gullihorn and my wife Jill here with our friend Ben Shive. Hello. If, if you hear any noise in the background, it's our kids shoved in a closet watching a movie. I mean, film for you rabbit rumors. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're here talking about Ben's new record that's about to come out. Um, why am I talking? Jill, why don't you say something? I was going to say we just enjoyed a nice lunch here. And now we're sitting back on full tummy happy about to ask him some questions about his record. And Ben, um, some of these things I've already told you, I love this record. I absolutely love this record. I love the first record and I really didn't know if you could top it, but I'd heard the songs, you know, sort of over the past year or so. I knew I loved all the songs. I knew you've had even that much more experience being a producer thinking about what you want your next record to sound like and you've been sort of crafting the theme and the artwork and all that stuff for a long time and um, when Andy and I first got to hear it I guess it was maybe like three weeks ago I just flipped out I love it I'm in love with this record and um, yeah I, I just think it's fantastic and so I think everybody that hears it it's going to kind of blow their minds and one thing I wanted to start off by asking you is as a producer and an artist is this sort of the best medium that you can think of for your songs is like the record versus mm-hmm. live? When you're playing live, do you hear all the other parts in your head as you're playing live? And then finally, when you get to the record, are you like, okay, this is what I hear? Or, I mean, how do you sort of approach making a record as a producer and writer? Man, I feel like that's really true that for me, it's a, it's about the record. I mean, I don't, I haven't ever played a show of my own stuff. And um, like sometimes even when I'm trying to introduce a song live, I feel exhausted by the mm-hmm. time I'm done talking. Like, I just don't know if God gifted me, or at least I haven't worked on it at all, like to be a great communicator from the stage. And definitely when I'm writing songs, I'm thinking of them. You know, I don't think, I, I won't pretend that I'm like Mozart or something and I hear all the parts, but I definitely am thinking production when I'm writing like yeah. what kind of sounds I'm going to want to hear and so yeah I love I love records when I was a kid I didn't I didn't dream of being on stage I dreamt of making records mm-hmm. and so that's what I like to do I think also I'm at a little bit of an advantage because there's such when people go to make a record there's such like a fear component everybody feels like a fish out of water in the studio but I don't feel like a fish out of water in the studio because that's where I am every day. Mm-hmm. And also, I spend so much time when I'm working on everybody else's record, I'm trying to please them and make them happy. And I really think one of the biggest jobs of a producer is to figure out how to break down the communication barrier between the artist and everybody else, mm-hmm. including yourself. And when I go to make my record, there's not that barrier. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I know exactly what I'm thinking. And so there's this, like... I can be a little bit more fearless about it because I don't have to please anybody. Yeah. And also I don't really have an, I have an audience, but I don't really have an audience. I don't have like a live audience. And so I don't even have to worry too much about how other people are going to feel about my record. I just, 
make the make the record that I want to make. And um, I remember even on the first one, like going to Kaysen and just being like, how can we mess this song up? Like, how can we do something that I'm not expecting? Which I think is, that's not a place that you can get to if you're not working on records all the time. Because you're just so wanting, like, wanting to make sure that you don't mess it up. Yeah. You feel like this is your big, you know, you're only shot at this and you don't want to blow it. But I, I kind of want to see if I can... Huh paint myself into a corner and get away out. So anyway. So being in the studio every day, doing this all the time with other artists, like allows you to be more fearless. Like this is just a medium you're really comfortable with. You're comfortable there and you can just, when it's you really push it. But for once I'm not on somebody else's payroll. So I don't have to, I just, there's nothing to worry about when I'm making my own record. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, I I know that it's going to be okay. and, And I'm not afraid. You know, maybe someday I will encounter fear in the studio. I don't want to pretend like I'll never get there, but that's where I've been on these first two records. How long has it been? When did you start working on the record? This one, I started, uh, I think I officially recorded the first bits of it on a train in Sweden, and it was Listen. I was working on, I had the train samples that I, uh, that I used for that song, and I started working on loops and like I remember I programmed the little bass clarinet part that's in there and stuff. And that was back in the fall. So I guess you could say I've been working on it for almost a year, but I didn't really start in until after we did the Kickstarter thing in uh, December. Okay. And what's the, the, the first song from this record that you wrote? Was it Every Good Boy Does Fun? No, I think that the first song was probably She's Invincible because I wrote that when Jude was like four or three or four and he was playing drums in the shed all the time and he could only play this one beat. And I just wanted to have like a great... I was really into the cars, just what I needed at the time. And I wanted to have a song like that that we could play together. So I wrote that song. And he would never play it with me. When I finished it, I always start playing it. He'd be like, can we please play something else, Barney or something? <laughs> I remember, I have a memory of hearing that song on a Christmas tour. Like one of the first ones with Derek and Sandra. Mm-hmm. And you had a guitar and backstage and we were flipping out. And I never heard it again, and I thought, oh, that song will never see the light of day. Um, and I was really, really happy. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I could put it on the record or not, because it's so, I don't know. It felt like a departure or something. But I love it. I was desperate for songs, so I did it. I love it. Well, I had a question about, like, I mean, we travel together a lot. We spend a lot of time together. And the standard question for songwriters is, um, you know, what comes first? Or, you know, asking about your process. And um, what I love about what I perceive is how you write songs. Like for me, it's it's I don't uh, labor over it as much as I see you laboring over your songs. Um, just kind of, you know, there have been countless times on airplanes where I see you open up your book and you're start mumbling. <laughs> you're, you're writing <laughs> poetry and like you know going back and forth and. And then I've heard, you know, even songs on this record, I've heard different versions of them from, I mean, I was thinking uh, someone is asking to dance with me. The first version I heard was someone is dancing with me, I think. It was God is asking to dance with mm-hmm. me. Okay, yeah. And, Andrew, and then, told me, Andrew told me to change it. There, there have been different versions of it. And, and like, you know, maybe it's just because I'm lazy. I would get somewhere and be like, all right, I'm done with that song. And watching you, like, really edit them. Mm-hmm. Just from the very beginning, just kind of working over it, and and you can tell that it happens just because of the, the depth of the lyrics and the the way you use your words. But is every song like that for you, where you sit down and you're like laboring over it for forever? 
there have only been a couple of songs where I haven't had to do that. And some of it, like, I can pretend like it's because I'm really principled, but some of it is just that I'm a beggar for songs. Like, I, I'm not a chooser. Like, if I get an idea, I'm like, okay, I better, I better work this, and lyrics just don't come to me. I just have to force every one of them. When I hear people talk about how they, this is the only songs of theirs that they like are the ones that came right out, I'm like, maybe I would know if that was true or not of me mm-hmm. if I ever had any songs that just came right out, but I just don't. Like, I get an idea, and I just have to work it. So the closest I've had is, I think that I wrote um, most of the song New Year from my first record on, like, maybe one plane ride. But then I think I still had to, I still had one verse left to write, and that probably took me a month. I mean, I just... I don't know why, man. I just kind of beat my head against the wall a little bit. Do you feel like it's though, because, um, that's kind of a leading question, but I mean, do you think it's because you love lyrics and you have a high standard for your lyrics? Because you could be done, you know, like you could be done, but I, I feel like one of the reasons why you're so meticulous is because you want every word to mean something to you. Yeah, I think, and I think another reason that I'm meticulous is because I kind of learned songwriting from Andrew Peterson. And like, he was, I just remember when I kind of woke up to what it is that he does and started mm-hmm. to really appreciate his craft, it was all about like, I mean, sometimes his alliterations and internal rhymes can be just like relentless. Mm-hmm. It'll be like, oh my gosh, like every word relates to every word. Mm-hmm. And I think that the fact that he did that just made me excited about doing that. And again, because I don't have, I'm not on anybody's schedule. I don't yeah. have to have my record done at a certain point. Yeah. It's kind of like, man, I might as well just work on these until they're really good. And I think another part of it is that I don't, for some, for whatever reason, I don't, I don't really write about how I feel very much. And so mm-hmm. you, an, emo- an emotional moment doesn't carry a song for me. Like I usually start with some concept, some mm-hmm. kind of idea. And so I don't have like the benefit of some inertia of like some moment that I'm in. I, I have to kind of just like figure out where to begin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that makes it more of a challenge for me. Do you have an audience in mind when you're writing the songs? I mean, like, you, you, are you thinking, I'm writing this and you can imagine playing it for somebody or somebody listening to it? Yeah, I, th- I sort of do. I think that I'm aware of Andrew's audience because that's sort of the only audience I have is the people who will hear me play two songs at an Andrew Peterson show. Um, but I think more than that, my audience is, is my myself and my, yeah. my sense of or even like you could say my audience is like, you know, Arcade Fire and Brian Wilson and yeah. those people. Like kind of just going like, I want to write songs that hold up in that kind of company. And I'm not saying that I do, but I, that's, I think since I don't have an audience that that's I actually see yeah. and that I know, it's more like I'm just writing to please my own, you know, musical sense of right and wrong. I love that. Um, okay, this is something that I talked to you a little bit about the other night. Our families all got together, the Shives, the Gullahorns, and the Petersons. It was a good time. That was so much fun. When the um, uh, Linus, Linus mm-hmm. and Emma were in town from Sweden and took them out, and we were all just kind of hanging out and letting the kids play, and really, really fun night. But I was thinking about you as an artist and producer and sort of what your life looks like in that professional realm and in your life as a father of four young kids yeah and um you know you're a family man you've got a wife and four young kids and i was thinking about 
how that affects work, how that affects my work, Andy's work, your work, um, all of our work. And I was thinking about this passage in War of Art, which is this book we all read about, basically, except for Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Andy doesn't read books. Um, but, yeah, he, he's heard enough about it. But um, they were talking about how even family is not an excuse to not you know pursue your passion or whatever. And they were talking about, I think it was Dostoevsky that had nine kids, or was it Tolstoy? I can't I remember. One of them has nine kids. The rabbit, oh, the rabbit commercial. Rabbit no. Like <laughs> <laughs> you guys know. Whichever oh, one it is, it has nine kids. Um, uh, they were saying, yeah, he wrote whatever his his classic. It was either Crime and Punishment or War and Peace, depending on which one it was, when he had nine kids. And, of course, I'm thinking, yeah, but his wife was home taking care of the kids. Yeah, like He was subjugated. Yeah, exactly. War of art, dude. But um, I think there really is something to be said for a structure life and priorities, at least in my case, I feel like having kids, even though it makes it harder to write, I guess I don't have as much time, but I try to be more purposeful with the time that I have. Yep. And I guess I just want to hear what, what your take is on that and how you do what it is you do. And at the same time, sort of nurture your family. Yep. That's a great question. And I feel like we're all dealing with it. I think so many musicians deal with that whenever we meet people around the country, I mean, there's always this feeling of like, how can I make more of my art or whatever? How can I find the time to do it? Um, I mean, as far as the writing goes, like I said, I'm, I'm such a beggar at it that I have to be kind of patient with myself. And I just, like Andy said, it's like the airplane is the one place that I can get to where there are no demands on me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm able to, I'm able to write then. I just know that like, I'm not going to write songs when I'm in Nashville. Now, if I can start a song on the road, the good thing about the discipline of writing songs is a little bit different maybe than writing a book because I can actually make progress when I'm in my car. Like, I guess you could conceptualize when you're in your car if you're an author or whatever or a painter or something. But I can, if I can get a start on the road, then I, you know, I care enough about those songs that it, it's not an effort for me to want to work on them in my car. So I think that's one way that I get songs written is um, is when I get into that place. As far as like the actual recording, that was really hard. I had to just like stay up late at night because I can't take away the dinner hour and the bedtime hour from Beth. I don't yeah. want to. And so it's like I have to work on records all day for everybody else, go home and do the thing, and then I would just drive back to the Beehive and work until you know until I couldn't stay awake anymore. Huh. And, I think it works because I because I gave a crap. I mean, I just care. I want it. Yeah. I wanted to make a record. I want it to be good, and so yeah. Um, but you you said something the other day when you were talking about the question about how like those of us who who do have small kids right now, there's this real lack of time. But something about that makes us generally more disciplined about time. It reminds me of the way that our, our grandparents who lived through the depression or whatever were just always so good with money because there wasn't any money. Mm -hmm. I think it's the same kind of thing. Not having it makes you be really good at managing it. Huh. That's so, really interesting. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you guys could probably, especially with sort of coordinating two careers between. Well, I think I think the difference kids. between me and you is you are good about like going on four and five hours sleep, and I am not. And so I think um, working at night, which is really the only time that we all have to work, is really hard for me. Yeah. So. I mean, we do it. Well, yeah. sometimes we'll get babysitters 
after dinner <coughs> when they're in their bed. We'll get yeah. a babysitter to come over and sit in the house so we can go over to the office and finish vocals. Oh, man. It's you the know? worst, too. I, ha- I hate doing it. I just have to do it. It's so lonely. Like, I, I get there, and I'm just like, my, my whole family's asleep, and I'm here working. One night, Gabe Scott came over and played some guitar and, like, just hung out, and it was such a gift to me. Like, not, not just the gift that I wasn't paying him and he was playing on my record. <laughs> the gift that I didn't have to be alone for one yes. I work on my record was such a joyful thing for me. Thanks, Gabe. Well, since it is... Okay, so on the back of that, this is a short question, but um, since making a record is such a lonely endeavor a lot of the times, especially for you because you're the producer and the player and the singer, you know, you do a lot of it yourself, uh, whereas I work with the producer, what does it feel like to finally just release it to to everyone else? Does it feel great? Does it feel scary? Or does it feel... It feels great. It feels really good. I mean, I, I, I definitely... I was worried about no one hearing the record before it came out. So I sent it... I, I got Kaysen involved at the mix point. I yeah. I couldn't pay him to produce the record this time, but um, he consulted with me. And that was such a... I think I would have been more afraid if I hadn't had a set of ears that I really trust on the mm-hmm. record. Um, but man, no, it's just been sweet to my soul to get it out there. Um, yeah, it could be scary, but it's not. I'm, I'm just glad to have it done. And there is definitely a point, and you'll, I'm sure you'll relate to this, where it's like you could sort of never feel done. Or you could just go, well, got to be done sometime. Might as well be now, yeah. you know? I could have kept the songs in my pocket for a lot longer probably and fussed over them more, but it was just kind of like, that didn't feel healthy. It was yeah. just time to time to put a deadline on it and make sure it got done by that deadline. So glad I could do that. Well, I have a question. Um, I've heard you introduce the uh, Every Good Boy Does Fine song or EGBDF um, as well, in a number of different ways, but one talking about it as the old covenant and the new covenant, uh, law versus grace. And, uh, I think in that song, you kind of describe pretty well the change that happens. It moved you from, uh, the law, which was represented by the piano lessons and learning how to read music. It just kind of in a lifeless sort of way. And then through the Beatles kind of being awakened to, to have it like enter into your own life and have it be your native tongue kind of thing. Um, and then, so, I was familiar with that in that song, and then when I listened to the record for the first time, I was just amazed at how many songs dealt with a similar thing, where it's mm-hmm. kind of talking about a change that happens. I kind of like looking at the world not as uh, just what it is on paper, but being able to feel it as part of your own soul, like your own spirituality. I mean, there's so many songs on here that are about trains or, uh, you know, bubbles floating out of a car and... Uh, like things that everyday things that you would see yeah all these concrete uh, earthly things that that are basically windows to something greater and and, and the fire pit is one of those songs also that kind of talks about the turn I'm not yeah the exact words and it's it's a different context but um, I guess my first question is in your life what what was that turn for you from it's all written in law and this is this is kind of the, the black and white thing and then to, to more of kind of learning how to see God and, and everything man I mean I think probably like anybody it's sort of like this 
I can point to moments and then there's just sort of the daily, you know, as far as like a spiritual awakening, like high school was a big thing for me. I just had some, you know, Rich Mullins kind of entered my life in high school. And at the same time, I had some guys who were older than me who loved, you know, the Bible and that were really, you know, followers of Jesus. And they kind of entered my life and took an interest in me. So I had this sort of spiritual awakening in high school as I think is so many people's story. That's such a time, you know, high school and college. Um, man, as far as kind of moving into a, a sort of seeing, I mean, for one thing, I, I sometimes think people say you should write about what you know. Sometimes I, I think that we all write about what we don't know. Like maybe even especially as believers, like I think mm -hmm. most of us are writing the songs that we need to hear. So I wouldn't want to pretend yeah. to be somebody whose eyes are really open because I'm, you know, I'm afraid that half the time I'm, I can be really dull. But I do think that there's something about being a songwriter, like starting to write songs. I, I like I hear people at church um, talk about how like frustrating it is to like read a scripture, like do everything that you do to the glory of God. And then to go to work as a, you know, like selling lawnmowers or something. And, they, and there's this feeling of this disconnect. And I just, I've been struck by the fact that one way that we're really lucky as musicians and especially as writers, and yeah, specifically as writers more than even as musicians, is that our job encourages us to keep our eyes open. Like mm -hmm. we actually can't do our job well at all if we don't keep our eyes open. And so I think there's something about being a writer and traveling around with other writers that has just changed the way that I look at the world. Like um, I understand everything as an opportunity, you know, as a, a possible window into a song. Mm -hmm. And that could sound mercenary, like all I'm looking for ever is an angle to write a song about. But I don't think that it's really that. I think it's like just trying, we're always just trying to keep our eyes open for yeah. something that's worth writing about. Actually, I think that that happens a little bit to people, even just with something, something as little as tweeting. Like, I think when you, when people decide they're going to do a Twitter thing, like it suddenly your eyes are open, like something will happen to you and you'll be like, Oh, that could be a good tweet. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I think that's like a little microcosm of what it is to be a writer. It's mm -hmm. that feeling of like, Oh, maybe this has significance. And so then suddenly I remember hearing this quote when I was, uh, in high school, I was listening to some Tozer, A.W. Tozer tape. I can never read any of his books because I'm, I'm only one step removed from an Andy Gullhorn. <laughs> I, read, I read like a book a year, two books a year. Um, but I remember he said, like the quote from him was, venerate everything. Like venerate meaning to like hold up high, you know. And he was just talking, He like that was his charge to the people that he was preaching to. And I think maybe that was like, Moments like that, like just even hearing that little quote have been significant to me going, oh, can you venerate everything? Can you hold everything up as being important and significant and possibly, you know, uh, holding something for you, something to be learned? So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, yeah I think it does. Well, I was thinking too, I mean, I, I said that it, it kind of talked about the, the, you eating all the rest of my dessert? No, I'm just taking half of it. Sorry. You took, wait. The one that I made? That, that the one that I made? Half of it already, and she's taking half of the half that she left me, which leaves me with a quarter. A quarter. Yeah. One fourth of the dessert she made. I saw you sneak that, that last me. one when he was talking, so I was just sneaking it back. Okay. One fourth, a quarter. <laughs> okay, yeah. But also, along those same lines, I realized that when you're talking about all the, the earthly images on this thing, really, you, you talk about all of, all of them as um, 
essentially instruments of different ways of how the world is making music around us. And that's like, I wish I had a list of the songs in front of me, but it's at least five songs on this record allude to that in some way. Hmm. Um, and like later on, Jill and I were, were thinking about it. And we're like, which songs are kind of explicitly about God? And we kind of go through and we're like, none of them are explicitly. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if God is really... When we say explicitly, we mean like spelling it out. Like yeah. when you're oh, saying God, okay. Jesus, yeah. you know. And, like, and, and, and so to me, it feels like an incredibly personal spiritual record in that way where where uh, everything, if, if everything is around us, if we were paying attention to it, uh, if paying attention to it is kind of hearing the music that it makes, like, like what you're, what I got you talking about in your song, that's just an incredibly spiritual, I mean, it's, it's God making music through these things. And I think that's what you're getting at. Someone's asking to dance with me. I mean, that's yeah. kind of what that, what that song is uh, to me. But was it an intentional thing that, that you were kind of like, I, I, I want to write these songs without saying God or. Yeah. Um, Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, it's not, it's not like it's a concept record. There's no like hard and fast rules or whatever, but there was a season where I was really kind of going, I'm about to start writing more songs and what do I want to do? And I remember that I specifically had this scripture where it's like, it's, it's, it's a couple places because I think Jesus quotes it, but I think that it's also in the Old Testament. And Isaiah, like, God sends Isaiah and he says, go, you know, go to my people and I'm going to give them basically the spirit where they're always hearing but never understanding. You know, I'm going to uh, give them blind eyes and deaf ears. And I had this idea that I just wanted to make a record that sort of issued that challenge. Because I always feel like that scripture is almost like a challenge in a way. Or at least when Jesus quotes it, it is. It's kind of like, you know, be ever, he's, he's saying, be ever hearing and never understanding, which I feel like is almost a way of saying, please listen, like, like almost begging them to listen. Um, almost like when you tell your kids, I'm going to, I'm going to take this away. If you don't be good, it's like you're asking them to be good anyway. So I definitely went into the record going, I want to write a record that is, that doesn't just give things away. I wanted, mm. I, I wanted it to all be metaphors with no explanation, like, um, of any of them and sort of parables um, just to basically say, be ever hearing and never understanding, or don't. Do do apply your mind and, and do listen. And mm-hmm. hopefully if people did that with this record, maybe they would do it with their own lives. So I am like, if there's anything that I'm afraid of, it's, I am afraid that I've made a record that's not very Christian. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely afraid of people like hearing it and, uh, and being like, wow, so I guess he's scared to talk about the things that really matter. But I kind of think, like, if some people do think that, I will have actually accomplished what I set out to do, which is kind of a funny feeling to just be like, well, no, I, I really, God, I, I wanted God with me in the process of writing these songs. And so if people miss it, it's only because I maybe actually accomplished what I set out to do. So I, kind of a weird I feel feeling. like, you know, when you, Pete and I were talking about this too, Pete Peterson, about how in Listen and all the other songs, you I mean, your your record, essentially what Andy said, is a is a giant metaphor of all those metaphors that you're talking about. It's like you're telling people, listen, um, God is in everything. You're saying that without saying that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if you just open up your eyes, you'll see the guy like 
you know, crossing arms, drawing the phrase out. Yeah, like yeah. there's just music everywhere. There's beauty everywhere. Just listen. Yeah. And, um, and that's, that's how I feel about your record. I, when Andy said, yeah, I don't think he ever mentions God. I was just kind of shocked. I was like, what? That record's all about God. You know, and then I went back to listen. And I was like, oh, it doesn't ever specifically yeah. say it, but it's in, it's in everything. <clears throat> it's in the whole record. So I think, I think that's so beautiful the way the the songs, the lyrics, and the record itself just sort of illustrate that point. Hmm. I think you did a really yeah, great job with that. I think you're right. I mean, the whole record is kind of just an encouragement to pay attention. Yeah. And like what you're saying, yeah. the record in and of itself, the way that it's done is kind of like you have to pay attention to really get it. Yeah. And, uh, and that's I don't know, I think that's just fantastic. I think it's like the season of life that we're in, too. I mean... The, my first record was a lot of, it was a guy who just got married record in a lot of ways. There's a lot of just kind of sweet love songs on it or whatever. Yeah. And this is, I think this is more of a guy who got married a bunch of years ago and had four kids and life just did what life does with for people with small kids. Like your life can start to feel pretty, everybody knows that poll of like, am I going to be annoyed that these kids are in my house tonight or am I going to? care about yeah. am I going to wake up sort of slap myself across the face and say wake up be here be in this moment mm-hmm. you know so I think maybe that's maybe that's why that's the record for the season of my life instead of a bunch of like you know more warm songs or whatever maybe it's more like just me saying hey stay awake pay attention this mm-hmm. is this is your life this is the moment or whatever I don't know well I think you you uh, accomplished that aside from I mean, we could talk forever about uh, how beautiful the strings are on the record and the arrangements and uh, how great your your voice sounds. <laughs> but um, so a lot of people don't even know that the I'm sorry but I'm yours is Ben's voice singing to him. I mean, I know some people know that that have seen him play live, but when I hear that song, I just like, I, I get delighted. Because <laughs> I think of Ben's voice singing to him saying, I'm sorry, Ben, but I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Like his introduction for it, and it just cracks me up every time. But your voice does sound fantastic on this record. It's getting it's better awesome. all the time. Getting better all the time. I don't know. I can't do it. Um, symbol Crashing Clouds, Ben Shive. You're already there if you're listening to this interview, so go to the Rabbit Room store and um, listen to it and um, you'll love it so thank you Ben thank you guys so we much love your record. Means a lot to me. thank you. for more information regarding the songs writers and artists featured here please visit rabbitroom.com rabbitroom music composed and performed by Ben Shive